Welcome to Boston Children's Answers. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Arnold. As a mom and a doctor, I'm passionate about helping kids stay healthy and happy. So join me as I chat with other Boston Children's experts to find answers for you and your family. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we are talking about an exciting and recent development in healthcare, gene therapy. And as usual, to start us off, let's hear from our parent. Hi, my name is Pete, and my baby has a rare condition. Where can we learn about the available options for his treatment? I don't want to leave any stone unturned. That's a great question, Pete. Today, we're going to talk about gene therapy, which may be an option for you. And here to talk about gene therapy is Dr. Christy Duncan. Dr. Duncan is the medical director of clinical research and clinical development for Boston Children's Gene Therapy Program. Welcome, Dr. Duncan. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. So, Dr. Duncan, since this topic is something that can be complex, I thought it might be a good start to just describe what gene therapy is. Gene therapy is a new type of treatment, or relatively new treatment, where we modify the genetic material of a patient. We can add a gene if a patient has a gene that's missing or not working correctly. We can change the way that gene functions if it's making too much of one thing or not enough of another. And it's being used now in multiple ways to treat dozens, more than dozens, of different diseases. That's incredible. Well, maybe we should also take an even further step back and just remind our audience, what are genes? Absolutely, right. You can't talk about gene therapy without talking about genes. Genes are really small pieces of DNA. And within our genetic material are the things that make us who we are. So the things that helped you have blue eyes and me to have brown eyes, these are all our genes. They're small pieces that direct our body and how our body functions, how we look, lots of different things. And so we inherit those genes from our biologic parents. You get half typically from your father and half of your genes from your mother. You put them all together and you have the DNA and the genetic composition of a person. It's like a blueprint, right? Exactly. For who we are. That's exactly. It's a really good way to think about it. So thinking about genes as the blueprint for how we are as individuals, how do they determine disease states or other complications when things aren't going so well? Right. It's a good question because you have to have some reason to need gene therapy. Genes can change for lots of different reasons, and sometimes we'll call those a genetic mutation. When you have a genetic mutation or a change in one specific gene in many cases, that can cause a disease. It causes it by either turning off that gene so it's not doing the job it's supposed to do, or it can actually turn that gene on and make it work harder when it's not supposed to do that. There are lots of different diseases that have a genetic basis. Not all diseases out there can be treated with gene therapy. If a disease isn't caused by a gene, our therapies aren't going to help it. That's true. And I imagine that even for some gene-related conditions, we may not have a therapy yet. Absolutely. So you have to know how the gene works. You have to have a treatment that can change that function. Or if it's missing, you have to be able to give the gene. You know, the other thing that's interesting about it is that you can have a gene change that is typically associated with disease, but not have symptoms of that disease because for some reason it needs to interact with your environment or there needs to be something else that changes. So when we think about genetic diseases, it's not a one-size-fits-all therapy. There are many diseases that benefit from gene therapy, but certainly not all of them. Well, and gene therapy genes, pretty complicated, right? I think about how rapidly the field has grown. And again, I know very little, but I know that I have a genetic mutation Mm -hmm. that resulted in my type of skeletal dysplasia. Both of my kids have a different type of gene mutation that resulted in their skeletal dysplasia. When I was growing up, gene therapies weren't even an option, but now there are actually gene therapies for the condition that my children have. So tell me a little bit about how just rapidly this whole 
field has grown. It has grown incredibly rapidly. So the field of gene therapy or the ideas of gene therapy started in the 1950s. We weren't doing trials for gene therapy in the 1950s. No one was getting treated for gene therapy in the 1950s. But it's science started then. And there are people, some of them that we work with at Boston Children's, who have dedicated their entire careers to getting us to this point. And now, thinking about the different diseases, there are hundreds of trials for genetic diseases right now. We have seen an explosion, not just of genes that are being studied, but of actually treatments that are approved. So approved by the US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to be given not as part of research, not as part of a study, but actually approved in the community. And so it's changing incredibly rapidly, not just in the number of diseases, but how we do the treatments. So some of those treatments, we're adding the gene, as I mentioned. Some of it, you're getting even at a smaller part of it. So not the blueprint, but like the line on the blueprint to figure out how to fix that. The technology is changing. The accessibility to patients is changing. And the number of diseases that we're treating is changing all of the time. Wow, that is so exciting. So, okay, let's take a moment, if it's okay, to deep dive into the science for a minute. We both love science, so hopefully our audience will get excited about this, too. In this area, I would say that most, even physicians, probably have a lot to learn about genetics, unless that's your area of expertise. And so I'm just wondering if you could help us understand how the therapy really works so that our audience has that picture as we dive deeper. Absolutely. So there are two big categories when we think about gene therapy and how it's done. One is called ex vivo. And what that basically means is thinking about it outside of the body. And then there's another therapy called in vivo. And they work both to change your genes, but in different ways. Okay. So with the in vivo, we tend to think about diseases where you're putting this genetic therapy right into the body where it needs to go in most cases. So there are some diseases where people have blindness or retinal disease. And I get a little squeamish with eye things, even as a physician. <laughs> but if you think about it, you can take this gene and using something called a vector. Think of it like the pickup truck for your gene. The gene <laughs> is in the back and it's being carried in there. That vector can be put right into the eye. For people, yeah, it's amazing. Other people, and I think something that speaks to us as pediatricians is this disease called spinal muscular atrophy, where infants and toddlers, neurons in their muscles don't function properly, and children can die at a very young age. You can actually take that gene to try to fix it and put it right into the spinal material. For adults, there are studies being done right now for Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, many other where you can put it right into the areas of the brain. So for in vivo, just a big category, we're putting the gene where it needs right, to go. Where it needs to, where it needs to go. The tissue, where yeah. it needs to go. Your eyes, your spinal fluid, your heart, your lungs, wherever it needs to go. For ex vivo, it's different in that we're trying to use blood stem cells. So another complicated term. So these stem cells, they can turn into all of the parts of the blood system. So they can turn into your white blood cells, which are the ones that help you fight infection, your immune cells. They could turn into your red blood cells, the things that help you carry oxygen. They can turn into platelets, the sticky things that help you in your clot, and lots of different things. So in those cases, if we want to treat a disease where we want to treat part of the blood or somewhere where it's going to change over time and always be there, we put it in a stem cell. The reason you do that is once we collect the stem cell from the patient's body, take them to a lab, use that vector, again, our pickup truck carrying a gene, Okay. put it into the patient's cells, and then we put them back in the body. So it's a lot of steps. Ah, interesting. So take the cells out, put the gene, gene in, in, put the cells back. back. 
Exactly. One of the, I think, truly amazing things about science is we can put those cells back in just like a transfusion. And when you do it, they find their way into your bones, and then they grow and divide, and they grow and divide. And this goes on for a lifetime, or we hope this goes on for a lifetime. So if you're trying to treat a disease like sickle cell disease, so sickle cell, as you know, Dr. Arnold, is a disease where the blood cells are not formed properly. And this is common and affects many people, thousands of people in the United States. If we put cells into your body that every day we're making blood, every day they're making this blood of someone with sickle cell, you can make it so those blood cells don't have sickle cell and it lasts a lifetime. That's just so incredible. It's almost like planting a tree, right? And so like it's constantly producing seeds every year so that you have the right cells that you need to help support whatever problem that is. That's exactly right. We actually often talk about this ex vivo gene therapy. We're putting it back like planting a field or soil. So Uh you have to give treatment. And unfortunately, right now in gene therapy, that treatment is chemotherapy. You don't have cancer. You don't have those things. But we need to find spots. We need to make space in the soil, your marrow, for the genes to come in. And so we give chemotherapy. That's tilling the soil. We put those genes back in there. Those are the seeds. And then they grow. And and now you've made it so I can extend it. Now they grow season (laughs) after season after season because they're making their own seeds. That's exactly what it is. And neither of these processes are easy. They're intense. But at the end of the day, our hope is that you or your child or whoever is getting treated does not have the manifestations of those diseases anymore. Yeah. And something like sickle cell, which is not only so common, but it is so many complications and and pain and things that we definitely want to try and help our patients Absolutely. I have to suffer from. Exactly. I think we all think about diseases like sickle cell or thalassemia. Many people know someone who has them and think about people growing up. And they're different in ways to neurologic diseases or others. But people in the United States and around the world, your life expectancy is still shortened with sickle cell. You're living with chronic pain. If you have severe sickle cell disease, that's an incredibly serious disease and something that we can, with lots of different approaches right now, treat with gene therapy. So I'd love to dive a little deeper, too, in terms of how the gene therapy works. We were exploring some new gene therapies for our kids who have achondroplasia. They were describing whether or not it's edits in or it's turning on or off the abnormal gene. So can you explain a little bit more once you give gene therapy, how does it What's actually it work? That's a really great question. Ex vivo and in vivo are the big categories. Something's happening outside the body and going in or something's just going right into the body. Then the different categories below that, there's something called gene insertion. And that is the first type of gene therapy where you're truly just taking a healthy gene and putting it into the person's genetic material. And that works if your body doesn't make enough of a certain thing. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah. But if your body makes enough or makes too much, putting a new one in there is not going to help anything. The therapy that you're talking about is something called gene editing. Gene editing is a little bit different. It can involve inserting a gene and editing it at a specific spot, but it also can be changing the gene. And so if your gene is going crazy and it's making too much of something for your body and that's causing a disease, you can turn it off. Huh. Kind of cool. That is very cool. (laughs) Exactly. If it's not working properly, you can change the way the gene functions. So make it work the right way. Make it work the right way. Make it the way we want it to work. The other thing that's different about editing is it goes to a specific spot. It's more precise. Um. And so this is targeting the problem where it is or where you want it to be and turning it off, turning it on, changing what it does. So the first one, we're getting the gene in there. To just help. Exactly. With a 
properly functioning gene. Exactly. And so editing, there is a typo in your genetic code, and we're going to try and fix that typo, or we're going to try and do whatever it is, if you think about sort of editing a paper. So it is more precise. Wow. Yeah. And you know what's incredible is when you first hear about gene editing, like, that's amazing. But then there's even more. You can get into really even smaller parts of the genetic code and change one single part or one spot. So gene therapy is getting more and more specific. More specific, more precise, and probably yes. more effective, right, in terms of we helping so. to mitigate yeah, the health exactly. concerns. Hopefully more precise, but also hopefully more safe. Yes. Oh, even more important. Clearly, you are passionate about this work. You're right. I am passionate. <laughs> I am extremely lucky. I did my training at Boston Children's Hospital. I did my hematology, oncology, which means cancer, fellowship at Dana-Farber and Boston Children's, and have been here my whole career. If you told me when I was an intern or a resident that I was going to spend my life doing gene therapy, I think you're crazy. That is science fiction. That's not going to happen. I am treating cancers. But being open to what's next and what's coming is what's so exciting about being in medicine and not just for the science and the excitement, but to be able to treat our patients. And so when the opportunity came up for me to be involved with this, it was incredible. I get to learn every day. I get to treat children with blood diseases and cancers, the things that I knew I was being trained to do. I also get to treat people with rare neurologic diseases, and that's really where I spend a ton of my time. But I also get to hear what's going on in the rest of the hospital. Can you give us some examples? We've talked about a few, I a know. Couple. But yes. Thinking about some of the things that I've seen, one of the things that I thought was most exciting in the past year or so is the first patient we did with gene therapy for cystic fibrosis. That happened in our hospital. There are researchers from the pulmonary division who found ways, along working with companies and sponsors, to do this. And what's incredible about that one to me is that they inhale it. And so it's not an injection. There's no chemotherapy. You're putting the gene right at the source. Yep. You know, so we talk about sickle cell disease, a common genetic disease. We can talk about cystic fibrosis, which is an incredibly common genetic mm -hmm. disease. And on the flip side, they're incredibly rare diseases, not an area that typically gets a ton of attention. No. There are lots of rare diseases. There are up to 6,000, 7,000 different diseases that fall in that category. And gene therapy is one of those areas where we are all in on rare disease. Wow. It doesn't matter if your disease has 10 people or 1,000 people because they are often, not always, genetic disorders. And they're often genetic disorders where there's a specific gene, one gene that gets changed. And so the rare disease that I spend my life thinking about, learning about, is a rare neurologic disease called adrenal leukodystrophy. It is a disease where children are born with a mutation on one of the chromosomes called the X chromosome. And what's fascinating but devastating and maddening about this disease is you can have lots of people in the same family who have the same genetic mutation, and they don't all present the same way. Some of them grow to adulthood with minimal side effects or symptoms. But the ones I think about are children have this rare form called cerebral ALD or adrenal leukodystrophy. ALD for short, because adrenal leukodystrophy is a mouthful. And in this case, it's almost always boys who can be functioning completely normally. And then in a period of months to years, become neurologically devastated. Mm. Devastated to the point you are in a wheelchair, unable to communicate with your family, unable to eat, unable to drink, seizing. It's devastating to families. And... If we intervene early enough, one of two therapies are available now. Stem cell transplant, which people think about often as bone marrow transplant, which has been around for a long time, or gene therapy, we can stop the progression. And wow. it is exactly, it's, it's incredible. It's life-changing, literally, yes. for people. It's life-saving. It's life-saving. And, and I think about the families. So we have treated 
dozens of boys here at Boston Children's with gene therapy for ALD and many with allogeneic transplant or bone marrow transplant. But because we're thinking about gene therapy today, I think about those kids. And for some of them, there really wasn't another option. For bone marrow transplant, you need to have someone who's matched with you genetically in certain ways to give you stem cells or a bone marrow. Not everyone has that. I have adopted children in my family. Me too. You too. They don't have blood relations within our family. And so not being able to find a donor, I live in bone marrow transplant, and that's always on my mind. Thankfully, my children, knock on everything, are healthy, but they couldn't have a bone marrow donor from someone in our family. Yeah. And so this is a potential option, and they may not be able to find a donor somewhere in the world. One of my children is mixed race, and so finding donors in that case, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. So for people like my children, like your children, they need to have choices and options, and gene therapy is one of them. It's exciting to me to hear about how this field has grown and the different ways it can be applied because as a person with a rare disease and has kids, I think, considered in the rare disease spectrum, what I'm hearing also is that it may even benefit other issues as well. Yeah, you know, I think exciting. a lot of, instead of thinking about collateral damage, we're thinking about collateral benefits in this yes. case, even within that disease. So yes, we can treat some people who have this rare disease with gene therapy, but there are other things that go along with it. So maybe we can look at things that treat symptoms that may not be covered. So rare disease needs a spotlight. Yes. <laughs> and thankfully, gene therapy is a big old one and it's shining on everyone. It's not, exciting. Exactly. Not everyone's benefiting yet, but week after week, month after month, there are new therapies. And I hope that for at least as many diseases as possible, families have options, children have options as the field grows. It's really great. So exciting to hear. So the fact that gene therapy is really putting a spotlight on rare diseases is pretty exciting to me. You know, again, having grown up with a rare disease, my type of rare disease is approximately one in 100,000 live births. My husband, Bill, who likes to think of himself as one in a million is literally one in a million, I guess. He can say that truthfully because his mutation had never been identified before when we got gene testing for thinking about our having children options. And then my kids have achondroplasia, which is also, depending on the study, about one in 30,000 light births. So when you look at all these rare diseases, and I think just based on my own personal experience, they're very, very rare. But then when you look at the whole spectrum of how many people have rare diseases, it's really not a rare problem, is it? That's exactly right. And I guess thinking about your husband, he's probably like one in like many billion. I yeah, guess it's probably. Never, yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't tell him that if it's yeah, going to no. go to so, <laughs> his head. Goes head exactly. uh, so no, you're right though. Any individual rare disease may be uncommon, but together there are millions of people with rare diseases, between six and 7,000 different rare diseases in the world. One way I think it's helpful to approach it is thinking about children. If you use those estimates, about 1 in 25 children will have a genetic disease. They're not all rare, but within but still, that, that's a, that, that's a lot. Yeah, That's a little bit more than the size of your average classroom in the United States. And so in that classroom, there's one child on average that has a genetic disorder. Yeah, it's a lot. And if you take that together, genetic disease and then rare, it's 300 million people in the world. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. So. Individual diseases, perhaps small, rare disease overall, huge. 
So this is an important health topic, health problem to really focus our work into helping those that have rare diseases lead healthier, happier lives. So when it comes to the therapy piece, how common is gene therapy? What kinds of diseases or populations are currently being treated versus where do you think the future will go? Yeah, I think that's a great question. If you walk around the halls of Boston Children's, gene therapy is everywhere. And so it's happening every day in the world altogether. It's less common, but growing. Whenever I think about talking about gene therapy, I try and go online and there are websites you can find out how many studies are being done for a specific condition or a yes. specific disease. Right now, there are over 500 different studies in the world related to gene therapy. Wow, that's a lot. It's a little tricky because they're not all the exact study, the treatments. Some of them are following people who got the treatment, which is really important. Oh, yes, like course of history exactly. and just understanding it. They're all followed. So the actual treatments, probably somewhere around 300 all over the world. Some are in adult patients, some are in kids. I think it is important to say, though, that pediatrics really leads the way in gene therapies. Understandably, kids are generally healthy. But for those who are not, they need treatment in gene therapy. Many of these diseases that we're targeting are identified in childhood. I feel like gene therapy is leading the way for the underdogs. If you think yes. about rare diseases, they're all so unique that it feels like a very small population and a lot of treatment therapies haven't been geared in the past. And then on top of it, in kids, you can really make a difference early on in the life of a person and help them to have that potential for a healthy life. And yet so much of the dollars going into treatments tend to be in the adult world, right? You're absolutely right. Another area of gene therapy that we haven't talked about is to treat cancers. Kids and pediatrics was on the forefront of that therapy as well. It's pretty incredible. Huh. Yeah. Huh. So you think about cancer in the United States. Thankfully, childhood cancer is a rare disease or many rare diseases within it. And so what researchers started doing across different centers in the United States was finding ways to give gene therapy to patients' immune systems. So a child who has leukemia, which is a blood cancer, can have their own immune system trained genetically to fight their cancer. And that mm -hmm. is incredible. That is incredible. It is amazing. And just like you say, if we think about where research dollars, all those things go in cancer, we think about lung cancer and brain cancers and breast cancer. And I'm not taking anything away from those. Everything needs study. Yes, everything does. Pediatric cancer is this tiny little slice of that research. But gene therapy is going at that slice wow. and chipping away at it. And so... You're right. We're all about the underdogs here. <laughs> That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. So this reminds me, as we're thinking about all these therapies and where we're going, putting on my neonatology hat, mm -hmm. I feel like every time I talk to a family, maybe expecting a child who has a genetic syndrome or a genetic abnormality, parents oftentimes ask me, is there anything that I did to cause this? Is this my fault? And I try so hard to reassure them that there's nothing they could have done to have made this happen. How do you counsel families? Because I'm sure this is it's, what you're seeing every day. It is one of the most important questions or things that I think we can bring as physicians to families. Being a parent is hard. And I think we all have guilt, but your genetics, you can't change that. We talk about eye color, and and you have blue eyes, and I have brown eyes. My parents couldn't control that. Your parents couldn't no. control that. In the same way, people can't control what diseases go through your family. Yeah. And if you're like you and I, who have adopted children, their biologic parents couldn't change mm -hmm. it. There was nothing about your diet. There was nothing about exposures. These are genetics. And what you're born with is beyond our control. Yeah. So... If there are parents who are listening to this, and I hope there are, who have rare disease in their family, it is not your fault. 
And just as an aside, some of the diseases come because both parents have a change in their genetics yep. that contributes. Some of them come because one parent does, and that can bring friction in a family, mm. and it's no one's fault. It is heartbreaking every time you talk to family and talk about genetic therapy, because somewhere I suspect in the back of parents' minds is that they did something, or they've given something to their child. Which is so hard and so unfair because there's nothing you could do. It could be just something that spontaneously happens at the right. time of conception, which none of us have any control over either. Right. It's just the way the genes work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, what, you know what also is so important? Sometimes it's not even something that's passed down. As you say, it's random in that particular child. Yeah. It just happened. And I think the other things that you can do as a parent, most importantly, you can love your child, you can educate your child, educate yourself about these diseases. Yes. And you can look and you can find therapies if they exist. And if they don't, you can talk to people and you can get support. And you can let your other family members know. And they can benefit. They have a, a family in mind specifically that I've been working with for over five years now. And they are the loveliest family. And their older brother, who is loved beyond measure, is neurologically devastated. He is in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. He can't communicate in the ways that we would like. But he is an incredibly valued member of that family, as he should be. And the younger brother was identified because of him and got gene therapy, and now he is riding a bike, he is on the honor roll, he is playing soccer, and it is both devastating and hopeful yes. and beautiful in a way. And so it's no one's fault. It's not the brother's fault. It's not the parent's fault. It is the way the genetics worked out. Just the way the genes work, yeah. Exactly. Yes, you had me thinking too. I'm very involved in the skeletal mm -hmm. community, and also as a neonatologist, I see a lot of families. I get questions all the time. Where can I go to see if there's a gene therapy out there? Because this field is so growing. So where where can patients go to find that? Depending on what your disease is, there are lots of places to go. So one thing I would say, just talking about our hospital and what we do, you can look us up on the internet. You can search Boston Children's Hospital Gene Therapy. And you can find the therapies that we have. And if we don't have the therapy here, we'll help you find something. You yeah. Know, of course we want to treat people at Boston Children's, but we want people to get treated like yes. wherever it is. <laughs> we want children healthy. Yeah. The other places, there is a website called ClinTrials, which is clinical trials. And you can put in the name of your disease, and it will show you every study that is open in the world. Even if you want to go more simplistic than that, put in the name of the condition put in gene therapy, and you will get a whole list of places. The internet has changed medicine tremendously, as we yes. all know. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, you can find things at your fingertips. Right. And, and it's also good to know where to go for accurate information. Generally, I would say try to look at an academic site, look at a research site, or things like the National Societies, United Leukodystrophy Foundations, Adrenal Leukodystrophy Foundations. There's, I mean, Little People of America and other things like that where you can search and get connected to trials that are going on. Exactly. I think what's nice about the foundational sites is that if you want, you can usually find other people to talk with. That community yeah. piece is really important, too, to hear from others that are going through similar situations. Oh, exactly. Because I, I will say that, you know, when we did the gene therapy trials for ALD, more than half of those boys came from other countries. Mm -hmm. Some of them came from right down the road in Massachusetts. But our first patient was from Ireland, and our second patient was out from Australia. And families found us. Yeah. And families are looking. So you mentioned Boston Children's Gene mm -hmm. Therapy Program. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what we do here. I would love to. <laughs> I would love to talk about our program. <laughs> our program is, in the world of medical programs, not that old. In the world of gene therapy programs, 
we're ancient. And so um, (laughs) I guess it's like dog years in program. In 2010, we treated our first patient. We do a lot of sickle cell work here. We do a lot of thalassemia work here and other rare blood disorders. So David Williams, who was a researcher and a clinician, found this program. And then clinicians across many different disciplines have joined. Within the program where I work, we have people who are focused on immune deficiencies, meaning you're missing some part of your immune system, so you can't fight infections. There's some I'm sure you see in the neonatology Oh, yes, space. yes, <laughs> yes. We have people like me who are focused on rare neurologic diseases or other very rare diseases of childhood and across the gamut. We've treated on studies well over 100 patients across the entire hospital, Almost every group you look at at Boston Children's has someone who's focused in gene therapy. And so hundreds of patients getting treated. And right now, as the day we talk, we have all of the FDA-approved products at our center. So all those therapies that have already been through the research process, now approved, they're available here. You can get them here. That's incredible. That's another important point. Even though certain gene therapies are approved, you can't get them everywhere. There are certain hospitals that have each product available to them. And that's something I hope changes in the future. Yeah. We love to treat people. Of course. But I don't want... You don't have to travel in a therapy that's already available. That should be available to you. Exactly. Once it's studied and and ready to go, it should be, you know, broadly available. So I hope that changes in the future. And it's due to lots of different reasons. But you're right. Like, if if there's a new antibiotic approved, it doesn't mean you can just get that antibiotic in Boston or California. You can get that antibiotic everywhere. Exactly. Gene therapy is not quite there yet. But our program here at Boston Children's, we have the scientists, we have the clinicians, we also have the most amazing staff who can help support the child you have here, perhaps the children you have at home. There's an entire group of people focused on your family and not just the medical therapies. I think that is a true strength of our program. It's all about getting families to treatment and if we can help, then that's great. Absolutely. So you've been talking about the gene therapies that are now available. I'm curious if you could give some examples. Absolutely. The ophthalmologists have worked very hard at our center in courting with a sponsor, and they have a product called Luxturna, which treats Mm. certain retinal diseases that are causes of inherited blindness. Incredible. The SMA, the spinal muscular atrophy disease, that's one that we offer here as well. I remember my residency taking care of those patients. Incredible. Exactly. So hard. It's so hard. And that's a a product called Zolgensma. And my particular program has been very involved with something called Zintaglo for patients who have thalassemia, which is a type of blood disease. Yeah. And the one that I've spent much of past 10 years of my life is something called Sky Sona. And that is a treatment for adrenal leukodystrophy that was approved in 2022. A lot of these therapies are just coming out every day. It's incredibly bright. And then one of the oldest ones that we talked about in the beginning, something called Kimraya, is used to treat children who have a certain um, type of blood cancer. That's available at our center as well. So you never know. There could be a gene therapy for you coming out tomorrow. And you know what? It's always changing. Right. So the second we've finished this podcast, there's probably two more that are in the pipeline. It's always changing for a number of diseases. And you know what's also interesting is that some diseases have multiple therapies. We're looking at at least two possible approvals for sickle cell disease in the next six months to a year. That's incredible. So for those that are interested in gene therapies and thinking about that as a treatment option, are there risks? And what do patients or families need to know? I think it is invigorating to talk about all the good pieces of this. But like anything in medicine, there is a balance. Each of the products has a different set of risks. When we think about in vivo, again, where we're putting the product right into your body, people can have immune reactions to it. 
there are viruses that are being used to carry it in, and you can have a reaction to that virus. So the immune reactions and inflammation is a significant issue that we try to treat and learn how to prevent in that in vivo space. And I think we think about inflammation as not a big deal, but if you're having inflammation in your spinal cord or in your eyes, that is an incredibly mm. important thing. So we're learning about that and learning how to prevent it. And every day the technology comes up with new diseases, it's also coming up with ways to try to prevent the side effects. That makes sense. Exactly. And then ex vivo, which is a bit more involved, there are side effects because you have to get chemotherapy to help make space for these cells to come in. Mm, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Right. And so you have to make sure you get through that. Right. You've those, got to do that. Those symptoms and, and issues. Exactly. And, you know, most of those are very short term, but we always think about what could happen long term. And if you're at a center that is giving you gene therapy, they know how to try to prevent and treat those symptoms, but they're still real and you still have to get through it. And then I think the other big category, the scariest thing, for all of us, is that when you're putting in a gene, it might get put into a spot that causes problems. Gets lost. Gets lost. On its way. (laughs) Yeah, it goes, and it turns out where it should not go. It takes a wrong turn. And if it goes into a spot that can turn on genes that it shouldn't, that can even increase risks of cancer. Mm. That was a problem a few decades ago when gene therapy started. And there have been many changes in science to help try to prevent that but it's still happening. So we don't enter the space lightly. Yeah. And we've talked about having conversations with families. And I know in neonatology, you have difficult conversations all the time. Absolutely. And we do as well. We talk about this is what our goal is, but these are the risks. It's really not in the grand scheme that different than any therapy, right? Right. There's always going to be the potential for side effects or other complications. And so it's really that risk to benefit conversation that you have with the family that might help them. Absolutely. And you know what I think about it? So you can say this is the risk and give a percentage, but the risk and the benefit depends on that family. If you've had a child who's died of this disease talking about nausea and vomiting, chemotherapy may seem small to you. Yeah, no big deal. It's, exactly. <laughs> like, so it's, all, it's like you're weighing. What's... You're weighing. One of our colleagues in the hematology group here at Boston Children's is involved with trials for hemophilia. So hemophilia mm. is a disease where your blood doesn't clot correctly, and it can be treated with gene therapy. But now we're entering a space where there are treatments that are manageable for hemophilia right now, and gene therapy is new, and we don't think about hemophilia, although it certainly can be life-threatening, in the same way that we think about a relapsed cancer that's not responding. Sure. So now we're learning how you weigh risks and benefits in a disease like hemophilia. Where there are maybe other treatments available, depending on how extensive the impact is. You have to make those decisions in terms of quality of life and and other impacts. Exactly. I think that's why we do benefit for having people like yourself who know how to speak to parents in a time of crisis. We hope to have as many answers as we can for families, but we're all learning. So thinking about difficult conversations, my husband and I recently went through this conversation for our kids because there is now gene therapy available for kids with achondroplasia. And in the end, we decided not to move forward, mostly because our kids were at an age where the impact would probably be minimal. I think parents really want to figure out as they're making that decision, what are the risks to benefits? And again, for some kids where maybe they're really, really short statured, a couple of inches may not seem like a big deal, especially for us. We're little people, right? We're comfortable 
with our short stature. That's the least of our problems. If the gene therapy got rid of the osteoarthritis, I'd be signing up today. But the stature, yeah, you know, sure, not a big deal. You know, that's a minor thing. But I understand, too, though, there are some kids who four inches could be the difference between reaching a light switch or a door handle, not getting trapped in a bathroom, because that's happened to me, or being able to wash your hands or drive a car. All of those decisions, I guess, are very specific. Obviously, for others, it can be a life-saving decision. But these conversations are are not necessarily easy and very unique. No, I I totally agree. Maybe I'm just going to turn the table and ask you a question. How did you educate yourselves? Being in the medical field, I had a chance to have a conversation with one of the folks that was doing the research. Now, not everyone may be able to get to that particular person, but we also talked to our Skelsplasia geneticist who had been involved in the trials and really Mm -hmm. knew the background. I think going to someone that you trust that is an expert in the field that cares for patients of the population felt okay so we could make that decision to the best of our ability. You know, I think that brings up a really good point as well about where to get the therapy. There are certain centers that can give these therapies. Not every site can do all of them, but you do want to go to a place where people know what they're doing. You want to be able to have that conversation with someone who can tell you about the studies, who can tell you about the data but also that you can have sort of that gut check with, that you have a relationship with that person and you feel comfortable because you're taking a leap no matter yeah. what. You know, Even with FDA-approved therapies, this is still a leap and you want to be leaping with the people you trust and at centers who have done this before and centers who know how to look out for the side effects and who can then follow you. The FDA has said that any patient who gets gene therapy of any kind with the United States needs to be followed a minimum of 15 years. You're going to know those people for a long time. (laughs) Every physician-patient relationship is unique, but I consider the families I've been working with now for over a decade. I know them. I know their highs. I know their lows. You need to be comfortable. Yes, and you need to also, I would think, be at a spot that can be flexible within the limits of your family. Yes. You know, can a lab be done at a center hospital down the street, and then maybe you come to the gene therapy center every six months or once a year. So there are certain centers that could do this. That number's expanding, which is great, right? Yep. And they're not the same centers for every disease. So no. there's a lot of homework, but there are places <laughs> online, in person, all of us who are happy to help you find that medical home for your genetic therapy. Yeah, I think our journey through that was really also maybe a little unique in that we already had a good relationship with our geneticist. We'd already been seeing him for the care of our kids. So that allowed us to have that really candid, honest conversation without feeling like, ooh, am I asking a question that they're going right. to judge me for? Because I think that's a lot of worry. Are they going to judge me for the decision that I make? Well, they're hard therapies. You need someone who can actually talk about them. And it just gets back to the point. As a family, as a parent, you have to make choices. But if you're talking to someone at a center who's pressuring you to do something, that's probably not the right place to go. Exactly. Find another spot. I always come back to the disease that I spend my time on with adrenal leukodystrophy. They may have just gotten the diagnosis of this disease two weeks before, but now you're talking about different treatment options. You need to navigate that at a spot where you feel comfortable but has the options for you. And I think going to those that really do have expertise in the condition just really helps you to feel assured that the information you're getting is as detailed as possible and as knowledgeable as possible. I think it is nice also when you have a medical provider who has relationships with other people. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into this. It changes every day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so where do you see gene therapy going in the next 5, 10, 15 years? The most important thing, I think, to me is safety. Well, safety and efficacy, so it needs to work. 
but I, I don't want to give people who don't have cancer chemotherapy. Heck, I don't want to give people who have cancer chemotherapy. I want to give them better therapies. We need to find ways to deliver these therapies without that. We need to find ways to deliver them more safely so that the side effects that we've talked about, we know how to predict them. We know how to prevent them. That is critically important. The other things that we are going to learn is how we can expand this to other diseases. Maybe disease where there is some interaction with the environment and it's not just about your gene or maybe there's more than one gene involved. Can we change more than one gene? There are limitations to the actual delivery I think that is coming. And then one thing that I think as a neonatologist may be of interest to you is that we are trying to work on ways to deliver genetic therapy before a child is born. It's incredible to think about. It is. And (laughs) and so just to say that we wouldn't do this, obviously, for every disease, it's not necessary for every disease. But if there is a disease that leads to either very high risk of death right away or very high risk of some life-changing consequence, so going blind, not having an ability to control your bleeding. If we could treat children before then, we may save lives. And that's not science fiction. This is science, not fiction, and it is coming. It is important, and it is science, and it's all being done with patients in the most ethical, safe ways we can. Oh, it's so important. And I mean, if you think about when you first heard about fetal surgery happening, I remember some folks saying, oh, that's never going to last. That's crazy. Impossible. Operating on a fetus while they're in the womb. And we're doing it now. And it's having a tremendous impact on babies. It can impact their ability to survive or not have major morbidity or complications. And so now imagining we don't have to actually do surgery, but we could do gene therapy to have that type of an impact on a life at the earliest stages. Pretty exciting for me as a neonatologist. So. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's, it's incredible. So more diseases, safer ways, and different ways to deliver therapies. Yeah, it's great. It's Absolutely. really exciting. We could talk about this again in five years and be an entirely different conversation. I know. I am <laughs> sure. <laughs> so as we wrap up here, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to make sure our audience hears from you? I want to, I think, wrap this up with just a message of hope for people who have rare diseases, the loved ones of people who have rare diseases, Up until now, choice is a luxury that they have not been able to have. And I'm not saying everyone does now, but for many people out there, gene therapy is a choice. And so I encourage everyone, if this has even crossed your mind for yourself, for your child, find someone who can help you talk through these possible treatments. I think that is really important, just the fact that we have choices and they're so important for us in the underdog world. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. All about the underdog. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So now on to doctor's orders. This is the part of the show where we prescribe an action that families can take to help raise healthy kids. So Dr. Duncan, tell us today, what are your doctor's orders? Gene therapy might be an option for your child. While it's relatively new in the medical world, there have been decades of research on safety and how well it works. If this is a possible option for your child, check it out, find out and get the information. Yeah, so don't be afraid to seek those answers. Exactly, don't be afraid. Thank you for listening to Boston Children's Answers. And thank you so much to our guest parent, Pete, and our guest expert, Dr. Christy Duncan. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, if you have any questions about gene therapy or other topics, check us out at bostonchildrens.org.